Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. I'm super excited because today we have one of my favorite people on the podcast. We have Mike Fleming, otherwise known as Tempo. You'll hear me refer to him as Tempo and never Mike. So that's there. There's that. We'll get that out of the way now. Tempo, how's it going, sir? Oh, it's going great. I'm also talking to one of my favorite persons on the planet. You know, it really helps that we're best friends while we kind of talk about, you know, lifestyle. But no, this is great. I always love it. I'm happy to be back on the podcast my second time. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really really exciting to dive into the future and uh, what it all entails, not only for you, uh, as you guys continue on and give great advice and make people better warriors, but yeah. Also, it's going to be better for me because I we all have some exciting futures that are coming up. So Absolutely. I'm happy to be back and uh, ready to get things going. So we had you on the podcast about this time last year, and we talked about your venture, RFF Lifestyle. And before we get into RFF Lifestyle, I have a little something for you. So we're going to talk about our favorite doctor real quick, Dr. Ooh. Pepper. Oh, <laughs> do you know what kind of doctor Dr. Pepper is? No, I would assume an endocrinologist just because people are mostly diabetic when they drink it. <laughs> no, sir. That was that was a good answer. But no, he's a physician. Oh, all right. All right. Very, very, very clever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we talked about RFF lifestyle in. A pretty good amount of detail when we last spoke, but uh, give us a summary of what RFF lifestyle is and what, you know, why did you create it? Sure. So going off of RFF lifestyle, this was kind of created around uh, 2020 and uh, we we had COVID pandemic going on and ultimately I wanted to be able to give positive messaging to people. Um, but Ultimately, I created this because I wanted a philosophy to be instilled that people can live a happy, healthy life by applying some principles that are very, very simple. And it all starts with the title RFF Lifestyle. RFF Lifestyle just stands for, sorry, cover your ears, children, (laughs) earmuffs. It stands for real fucking food. So I wanted to encompass all of the aspects of you know, people doing paleo, low carb, keto, be even if you want to do animal based, plant based, it it encompasses all of the dietary patterns that are the epitome and examples of real food, which is the main reason why people are going to dramatically improve their health. So if we can get people to simply just keep things simple, eat real food and do what works for them, they're yeah. dramatically going to improve their health along the way. That doesn't mean that you won't do any like troubleshooting at all like reintroducing foods maybe cutting back on certain ones but it's all about just keeping it simple eating real food and doing what works for you and making it a lifestyle because i've said before if nobody knows me i've said it time and time again diets suck they are so short term they are only result based and people are likely to go back to the same negative eating patterns which is processed food Um, that we could always get into that gets them to gain more weight or actually have an even more increased negative effect on their body. So it all starts with real food. Then the bottom part, which is secondary to applying the real food lifestyle, is trust, learn, and act. So I want to establish trust with this concept. And When you actually have trust, you're more likely to adhere to a diet that works for you. You have to trust the process, but you have to self-trust as well. You have to trust that on this health journey that you are going to, you know, have some ups, you're going to have some downs, but that self-motivation, that self-trust is so powerful. And then as you're trusting yourself through this process, you want to be able to learn more. People have this craving to go on podcasts, audiobooks, to learn more about nutrition, learn more about exercise, learn more about 
improving their lifestyle. That's the second point that's very important. Now, lastly, you got to act. You know, it's a lot of put up or shut up at a certain point. You can learn a lot. You can, you know, trust in what you're doing, but you have to act upon it. All three of those things have to apply to the RFF lifestyle. So simply, that is my philosophy. That is my concept, keeping things simple and applying those principles to live a healthy life. I think it's crazy because the the simplicity of what RFF lifestyle is, that's what we should all be striving for is the the weight loss game and the you know whatever your goals are strength weight loss just being healthy it's not complicated it gets way over complicated and we've been talking a lot about healthy relationships with food and you brought up how diets and all these things aren't sustainable um but a lot of times these diets put food labels or labels on food which then lead us to believe that we can't have X because it is bad. It is evil and we can never eat it or look at it or smell it. And you're weak if you consume it. Um, and I think that that idea has been really a part of the part of our culture. I would uh, specifically for the last like 20 years. And you wonder why there's so many eating disorders in this country and people go on these crash diets and fail miserably and then gain a hundred pounds. And you, but you know, so I, I liked, I like, I love that part about RFF lifestyle because this is simple. This is a lifelong learning, you know, thing that we should just continue to have fun with because not everything's going to work. Like I did keto for, I don't know, a month. I think I did it pretty well for a month and I gained a shit ton of weight and I felt terrible. <laughs> It just didn't work for me. Like it's it not for everybody. For people. Right. You know, context matters. Individual context matters a lot. Everything works differently for every other person. So that's what, that's what I like about RFF lifestyle. So coming off of that, there's obviously you identified there was a problem. We were in the middle of, pan- of a pandemic, a lot of negativity, a lot of people kind of grasping for what is next. So you started RFF Lifestyle, and you've been doing it now for a year and a half or so, two years, and you wow. have—I know, right? We just <laughs> we just crossed heck? over to three. We've been doing the podcast now for three years, which is insane. Awesome. Uh, we started started in January of 2019, so it's crazy. Um, you wrote a book, and that's kind of why you're on today. We're going to talk about your book. What uh, what brought you to the point where you're ready to write a book? That's a pretty big. You go from starting, you, you know, you're making Instagram content, you know, online content, and now it's like, I'm writing a book. Well, so what was the motivation for that? Yeah, great question. And I'm so happy that I am able to actually promote my book for the first time on the Weekly Warrior podcast, yeah. because this is where I did my first interview, just going over RFF lifestyle, just like we discussed. But then... My purpose generally in life is that my health coaching, all of my social media content, that's wonderful. It's nothing but positivity on the, you know, on the internet, which is great. We lose sight of that sometimes. There's not enough but of that. <laughs> that's not enough. And it's hard to come by. Always yes. lo- everybody's looking to zing somebody else or, you know, just try and, you know, one up somebody when in actuality, we're all just trying to improve our health right. in all different aspects. So why even use those what I call useless calories. Why even burn them? It's just a waste of time arguing. Let's just work on lifestyle, see what we can do individually. But then I also started to realize, like, why can't I physically give somebody a, you know, a an actual simplistic kind of like book pamphlet on how can we just apply these simple solutions to a healthy lifestyle and give it uh, to patients, clients, or anybody who's interested, something physically they could hold on to. Yeah. They, that they can actually sit down, read. It doesn't take a long period of time. The book is actually designed to be short, and the title of it is called RFF Lifestyle, Simple Solutions to a Healthy Life. And the main reason why I wrote the book is, actually, it all started when I was working in cardiac rehab. Um, I did a lot of education lectures on just talking about the risk factors of heart disease, um, just being overweight or having high blood pressure, genetic predispositions, um, people just having diabetes, for example. A lot of people are just like, hey, 
you should write a book. And I said to them, my first instinct was, have you seen me and my attention span? Do you think like I have time to sit down and write a book? Like I'm that guy who's like hyperactive, like ready to go. How, how can I simply, how can I sit down and write a book? I'd rather be interacting with patients. But then as time went on and as people kept saying, why, why don't you have a book out there? Like I need that physical item that I can refer back to because you're so knowledgeable. And this is not an egotistical thing, but it's, they want something physical, something that they can have and own that says, hey, I remember everything that that health coach said, and I want to be able to apply all the knowledge that he has given me throughout this cardiac rehab process. So patients and clients were the main reason why I did it to begin with, is that I always want to come from this aspect of humility. I, if I can give back and give something to somebody that really impacts and improves their overall health, Sign me up. So that was the main emphasis is that so many people kept asking me. And then for my own sake, I wanted to be able to just do this because of the current state that we're in. I, I, I talk about this all the time in social media and just like making my posts is that I want to emphasize lifestyle as medicine. And sometimes it really gets neglected from time to time. That doesn't mean other forms of medicine are bad. It doesn't mean that other forms of medicine are with that lifestyle is the only factor. It sure. just means that we need to prop this up. And if I can give that in a book form by telling my health journey and giving you some simple solutions to your lifestyle along the way, then more power to you, which, right. which is why I am a health coach every single day is the more power I can give to you, the better. And that's how the book came about. So I want to go back a little bit and you, you were talking about clients and patients. So who were you working with? What did you do at when you started this journey? Because you graduated from Central Michigan University. That's where we met. We played rugby there together. And you went to work almost immediately at in the hospitals of Chicago. So what what were you doing that allowed you to practice this craft and work with these people? Yeah, it's right. It even goes into the book as well, just like my health journey and how it led to me being an exercise physiologist, which is actually my title, an exercise physiologist working in cardiac and pulmonary rehab. Um, The main driver of me working in that environment to begin with was not really lifestyle based. Um, It was mainly based on what hit the home front. And Mm. when it all happened my sophomore year. I was learning about an EKG class and it was simple electrocardiogram. So the electrical current of your heart and being able to read those types of rhythms. Yeah. And, and during that class, it was talking about rhythms that you don't want to be uh, having because they are the ones that are worth being shocked with the paddles with an actual defibrillator. And I'm like, this is stupid. This is boring. Like, I don't want to learn about this. This is, they're hard to read and I don't care. It's just, it was just, I knew I wanted to be involved in exercise, but no, forget that. But then it was after the class and I can't make this up after the class right away, my mom called and I said, Hey mom, what's going on? And she's frantic. She's like crying. And you know, I'm trying to console her and I'm saying what's going on. And she ended up emphasizing to me that uh, your dad's in the hospital and he had a heart attack. And I'm just like, holy crap. So kind of everything drops, like your emotions drop, your mindset drops. It's like, oh, I, I don't really care about school right now. I, I, I don't know if I didn't. I just maybe my, I just wanted to go to the cabin and drink this off. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, and so you'll know the reference, the cabin, local bar yeah, in yeah. Mount Pleasant. Um, I didn't know what to do at that time. So automatically, I went straight back to Chicago to be with my dad f- to care for him. And that's when it really started to hit, resonate with me. Like, okay, the light bulb went off and it's like, okay, I know I'm good at exercise. I know I'm in this coaching space and I'm really good at talking to people. But right when my dad had his heart attack, it's like, okay, I know I want to be in this lifestyle space of helping people similar to what my dad has gone through. You wanted and to help that, him, but that led you to helping other people as well. And yes. And then that let, led me down to actually diving in deeper to what all of these standard health recommendations mean. And that's where, you know, it started. I started to truly make a better impact on patients, not only their goals, but just their quality of life and having more confidence in living a healthy lifestyle. Sure. So 
it's it's a it's a such a rewarding feeling uh but that's where it all started hitting the home front and now the drive and the passion just came along with it after so you you segued right into my next question was which was you know what is the motivation for you writing the book part of it obviously a, a huge part of it you getting into your career in general was some of the health issues that your dad you know went through was there any other big motivations for you to write a book and to get into this field because it's healthcare is not an easy field. I worked in a hospital, albeit it wasn't in a healthcare position, but I, I watched people work every day and it's a hard job. It's a hard field to be in. It's very demanding. What made you want to do that despite some of the challenges? Got you. Yeah. I first want to say before I dive into that, thank you, nurses, doctors, physicians, assistants, all different aspects of healthcare, even the people that come and clean up like after patients are oh, discharged from the hospital, absolutely. they're just as important as they providing are. care than, you know, just as a doctor would be. Now, some people would view that as a like more of a different like quality and standard, but we're all providing care at the end 100% of the day. 100% necessary. <laughs> they're all necessary. We're yeah. all part of this system and it's the healthcare system. Um, and when you were talking about asking that question about why writing a book is because when we have our healthcare system right now, through the lens that I am looking at it right now, it is predominantly going in and being assessed, diagnosed, and treated with some form of intervention. That is surgery, that is medication, that is steroid injections. It's something that is going to be a acute or temporary fix. In the long term, most people, when they go to the hospital, if they're there for an emergency, they need to be um, intervened on right away and given the proper care. And that's where right. all these great healthcare workers come into play. Right. But the main thing that doesn't get emphasized enough, and even our hospital systems and our settings are even military and even our schools, all of them are designed to set up to treat conditions that actually can be reversed if you emphasize lifestyle. So would you and, say that a lot of these conditions, like or a lot of the treatments, I should say, are reactive when you come in and Joe Bob is 40 years old and he's starting to have some chest pain and he's severely overweight or I mean, I mean, whatever, he's got Crohn's disease, whatever might might it be. A lot of the treatments that were being given are reactive pills, like you said, steroid injections, stuff like surgery. So is that basically what you're getting at is they're reactive treatments? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very reactive. I had one doctor that I worked with before, and he also would call it defensive medicine, mm. meaning that we're always playing defense. Like, here's a medication because blood sugar is X. Here's a blood pressure pill because medicine, uh, because your pressure is X. So it's very defensive. Like, you're combating labs, you're combating what actually is being observed objectively based on a number, based on a lab result. That doesn't mean that the medications aren't helpful in any way, but. What also gets neglected in that type of reactive care is that we are actually not getting to the root cause of most chronic conditions right. that can happen. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're not going to live with that the rest of your life. It's just patients want to be able to hear that this is reversible, that maybe it can be managed through lifestyle instead of this treatment option. And the way it's kind of set up right now is. We put so much pressure on physicians to go over lifestyle choices when the average doctor's appointment is roughly five to seven minutes. <laughs> they come so, in, they say, hey, this is what your chart says, and then they leave. <laughs> right, and, and, but most of the time when I would do lectures and talk to patients about this, they would say, I learned more from you than I have from my doctor in the past three months. And I'm like, yeah, because the referral was to me. Like the doctor referred you to me because there's a reason why is because now that you've recovered from your condition or you're learning to manage your condition, right? This is where I come in to emphasize the lifestyle factors that may contribute to lowering the amount of meds you're on because of this condition. Maybe you start to get to your health goals as you start to emphasize these lifestyle factors. And in the current medical system right now, all I'm doing, especially with this book, is being able to let people know that lifestyle is the primary form of medicine. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, if you eat real food, if you exercise regularly, if you drink enough water, if you focus on those factors first, I would say majority of the medications that you now rely on have the ability to either be de-prescribed or taken off entirely. Yeah, I completely, I love it. I love it. We've been talking about a lot the last couple of weeks about lifestyle changes, healthy foods, and not just like oh, I'm eating, um, you know, chicken and broccoli that I got at Meyer. I'm, it's about eating, you know, pasture-raised meats, organic vegetables, wild-caught fish, all these things. And that alone right there, and drinking high-quality water, that alone is your building block for reversing a lot of these problems. And then you throw in exercise on top of it. I mean, like, I mean, I, I think that in the next, I hope that in the next five years, this will become more of a revolutionary idea because I think right now it's just starting to catch on where it's like, oh, maybe we've been poisoning ourselves for like the last 60 years. Um, yeah. And we haven't really known because nobody's told us. <laughs> right. And I would just add off that point. It's that it's very crucial in my opinion is that we spend so much, so many useless calories arguing like, Oh, is this, you know, animal based the best way or is plant based the best way? It's like, yeah. Okay, maybe there's some pros and cons of both, you know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, maybe maybe we just need to add individual context, like we were saying. Like, ultimately, yeah. if you are doing an animal-based diet, just know that there are a lot of pros of that. You're cutting out a, a lot of crap. You're cutting out of a lot of different foods that might be pro-inflammatory to you. But there might be certain foods or thing or vitamins that you might be lacking. Like, maybe you're lacking vitamin C, or maybe you're just lacking in... Um, electrolytes like not getting enough sodium magnesium potassium when you're doing that diet so my job is to help that person thrive on what's likely to be a long-term solution for them rather than be like no you gotta eat this way you gotta eat that way and these people argue constantly yeah headbutt all the time when in actuality they agree on (laughs) right and they agree more on things than they disagree on Absolutely. And that's what the lifestyle, this is what the book also promotes too, is that I do not care what dietary pattern you eat as long as you cut out the main culprits of chronic disease. I call it the triple threat of metabolic dysfunction. Simple sugars, refined grains, and vegetable oils. If you cut those out and you pick a real food dietary pattern while understanding the pros and cons, guess who's going to live a happy, healthy life? Right. You. And that's pretty simple. And that's, I mean, that's a great jumping off point to, hey, maybe we should look at food quality next. So we're, we're into eating a whole food diet, which is awesome. Like starting with that is awesome. Let's move into the next step, which is food quality. And then, you know what I mean? And just building and building and building from there. So you summarize, your book is broken up into a couple different sections and you kind of summarize the first one, which was your motivations, your journey into this world. So you have your next section, which is about health harms. In the book, there's seven. We're not going to talk about seven because y'all need to go buy the book to figure it out. We are going to talk about... (laughs) We are going to talk about... It's a right read if you need it. Yes, coffee table book. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to talk about three health harms of your choosing, Tempo, and just kind of go over those and talk talk them out a little bit. So Let's start with the first health harm that you would like to dive into. Sure. So the first health harm that I think is very important to kind of elaborate on is what I think is the biggest driver of our problem is um, a lot of people are under this physiological concept that fat makes you fat. Um, If I ever look at fat, I know I'm going to gain five pounds. If I, you know, see fat in any food product I buy, that means I'm going to gain weight or I'm not, not going to be able to achieve my health goals or I'm going to increase my cardiovascular risk because, you know, I'm eating a certain amount of fat. Fat, too in itself, has been vilified for way too long when it's traditionally been something we've been using for years on end in order to improve somebody's healthy metabolism and right. also giving the fats and quality that you mentioned that actually helps you burn fuel efficiently. And 
they uh, it all started early with the diet heart hypothesis. I could always go into that a little bit deeper, but at the end of the day, it was a vilification on saturated fat and cholesterol. And when that started, a lot of people started fearing fat when no patient was ever told the benefits of fat or told that it's an essential type of nutrient for the body. It's an, we have essential fatty acids. We have essential amino acids that come from protein. We have carbohydrates that improve our hydration and improve our ability to digest and absorb nutrients with a lot of antioxidants that reduce inflammation. But fat has been vilified for so long, and what we ended up doing is that since we have vilified certain fats for so long, like butter, ghee, tallow, lard, animal fats, you know, what we ended up doing is replacing them with fats that actually have a negative impact on our metabolism and makes you more likely to gain weight, increase inflammation, and set you back on your health journey when in actuality you think you're doing well. So you're telling me that butter that has maybe two ingredients like, you know, cream and salt, is better than buttery spread, which has like eight ingredients in it. The first Ear, one most everybody. What the <laughs> fuck is it? <laughs> yeah, it's made. I, I, I honestly don't know. When people will just come up to me and they'll just be like, hey, Mike, I saw this new plant-based butter. What is it? It's just a fancy way of saying a vegetable oil. That's all it is. I had uh, but- uh, a relative tell me when we were taught, this is like back in like 2012 2013 my aunt and uncle were getting really into this healthy lifestyle and they told me we looked at mayonnaise uh recipes as an example and i'll never forget this he showed me an uh just a standard i don't know call it hellman's or craft or whatever and he said look at how many ingredients are on the back of this bottle i looked at it and it was you know 10 let's call it 10 and stuff I couldn't even pronounce. And then he, he showed me this other stuff that was like organic, whatever. How many ingredients are on this? And there was three, all of which I could probably find in everybody's pantry. Um, and he said, if you go onto a label and you can't read or understand, or you don't have it in your pantry on a regular basis, you probably shouldn't be eating it. And from then on, it was like, that's crazy. I like I don't understand it because at that time I didn't care what like what went in. I just liked I like chips and all. I mean all the stuff that they're they're very palatable foods and they're delicious and but they're made to be that way and they're made in laboratories. Um and so that's the example that I still cling to today. Like if you can't if you don't know what's on the back of a label, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. Why is it in the food that you're eating? Yeah, well, and a lot of people, it's respectfully so, they don't even question it because when you think of these food items, this is why I bring up the triple threat of metabolic dysfunction, especially with like the type of fat, you know, that you're using, is that there's, these foods are specifically designed to make you overeat. Yes. When you have a refined fat and you have a refined carbohydrate, you put them together and then you also have a macronutrient that it's significantly deficient in that signals satiety the best, which is protein, guess who's likely to overconsume those food products until they meet their protein intake? So when we, you'll never find these foods combined in nature. You give me, give me a food that has something that's high in salt, high in fake fat, high in refined carbs <laughs> in nature. Can't find it. It's not there. It doesn't exist. Why it's not it there. literally doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist, but it exists in our modern food environment. And that's why I bring it up to back to that one fat makes you fat is that we talked about quality. When we're talking about quality fat, it is butter. It is ghee. It is tallow. It is animal fat. It is coconut oil. It is olive oil. It is avocado oil. It's all of those. That is a fat the body knows how to burn as fuel. What it doesn't know how to burn as fuel is a industrialized, deodorized, bleached vegetable oil. But, hey, Corey, it's low in fat right, and low exactly. in cholesterol. <laughs> and they, they no put that all fat. over the label, everywhere. It's like, come by me. I'm low in fat. I'm low in fat. And then you look at the label, you're like, 
what the shit? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've said this before, too. I said it to my patients. You know, I'm a failed comedian. You know, it didn't work out, but thank God I'm a health coach. Little Debbie doesn't give a shit about your health. <laughs> neither does, you know, neither Ways. does Wendy, neither does that little honeybee on Cheerios. None of them are designed to get, they're get, designed to get you to buy the product. They're not designed to care about your overall health. Just because something says it's low in something means it's higher in something else. Just because it says it's heart healthy doesn't mean it actually cares about your heart. What about the captain on Captain Crunch? Does he care? Oh, gosh. I remember. I That was my favorite cereal, you oh. know. Growing up, my dad said, you know what, son? You can have that cereal when it's on sale. Guess what was never on sale? Because <laughs> it, was it always Crush. sold. Everybody right. loved it. <laughs> yeah, and I remember, I, I remember just going back with comedy and everything. I remember just Jim Gaffigan just talking about the gluttony of people. And he was just, he was emphasizing, like, how people, it's like, young man, you can't have cake for breakfast, but you can have fried cake. Yeah, right. Right, it's exactly. for breakfast yeah. in the oh form of pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's or, just, or it's, Pop-Tarts, which are even Pop-Tarts. worse, really, than pancakes. Exactly. And it's just this, it's just the constant push of these processed foods that are really detrimental to your health. And it's, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to have them from time to time. It's just, it's the consistent pattern of it. We don't want our body to to be familiar with being unhealthy. We want it to be familiar with being healthy first and then allowing a little bit of quality of life to kick in around holidays, around weekends, around things that seem more practical at the end of the day. But we get so caught in this rut of eating bad fats, bad carbohydrates, and a lot of refined foods. Something I find interesting because we've already like we've gone down the rabbit hole and then dug another 20 feet down and we're <laughs> we're down here. So I'm just going to say it. You, something that did not appear in society. And maybe I don't know this because I didn't live back in the day. Gluten intolerance has literally never been a thing until the last like 25 years. And you got to wonder why. What types of grains was bread made with? prior to i don't know let's call it like 1950 well i I will i will say that just off of that point there is a great doctor um william davis he goes over this thing it's his book is called wheat belly and what he goes into is that the grains that we were used to like back in like 1800s like if you go way back and people were sprouting fermenting their own bread you did not have a lot of metabolic disease you still had people that were healthy a great example is just people in italy you know people using bread with their olive oil parmesan cheese so obviously it's not something that actually has been the biggest problem what actually ends up being the problem is the dextrification of grains which simply means that we're going to take a grain and convert it into a simple sugar and people will ask me, Mike, what's an example of that? I'm like, go down your cereal aisle. All of them. That's They're all converted into simple sugars. So in that book, like with Wheat Belly, he, he talks about that our evolving of grains is actually getting more and more refined. And the more and more refined it becomes, people think that they're being healthy by buying wheat bread instead of white bread, but it's still going to have a negative impact on your health because it's not done the traditional correct way. When you go down the bread aisle at the store, I would wager that probably 90% of the bread there is the reason why people are gluten intolerant. But if, if people could just slow down and maybe make their own, like, We've been getting back into making like we have our own sourdough starter. We make our own like we make our own sourdough pizza crust. We've made sourdough pancakes like that stuff still isn't necessarily healthy food. Like you shouldn't eat it every day for breakfast, lunch and dinner. But when we make those items, they are wholesome foods. You know what I mean? So like you're still having something that's maybe not considered healthy, but it is wholesome and it is not going to, you know, lead to your imminent gluten intolerance well and i will tell you that this brings up a very good point is that you said where did this gluten intolerance come from and it's like i believe just like anything else when it comes to care it's an individual context basis there's a small subset of the population that is gluten intolerant there is like a a group that's lactose intolerant but they To be honest instead of thinking of it like if i eat bread i must be gluten intolerant no 
you're probably just processed food intolerant. Because if you go down that bread aisle, for example, I bet you that even if you look at a lot of those breads, I bet you that it's probably going to be a refined grain. And I bet there's vegetable oils also in that same refined bread. So it's a cluster of these things together that ends up causing you to be processed food intolerant, which all of us should be. Connor uses this term, she calls it dead food. And when we talk about dead food, it's like, most of the milk you buy in the grocery store, most of the bread you buy in the grocery store, most of the food items that used to have like healthy, like probiotics, prebiotics, whatever, um, they no longer exist in our supply chain or like majority of food in the supply chain anymore because everything's heavily pasteurized. Everything's heavily refined. Everything is very processed that, that you mostly find in the grocery store. And I find I, I like that term dead food because there's nothing alive in it. There's no healthy bacteria. Like you wonder too, lactose intolerance is a, you brought up lactose intolerance. I think that's really interesting because it was never really, maybe it's because science wasn't there. Maybe we just didn't know that people were lactose intolerant, but at the same time people were drinking raw milk that had a lot of like gut bugs and, and people's guts were probably generally healthier before all these heavily processed foods, refined oils, all these things. So I, I find that term funny when she says dead food. And it's like, yeah, you go to McDonald's, you're literally just consuming calories. <laughs> but, yeah, and well, that, that actually honestly brings a, a, a very good point up is like having dead foods. I mean, that is our processed food environment that we live in. But at the end of the day, like the, the fermentation process, the transportation of food, we are at a abundance of food. We are not we are not really at a point in our actual like ecosystem right now where people it, starvation has gone down significantly. Thank God, wonderful people are able to eat in some circumstances. They don't have food, want to help out in every single way we can. But at the end of the day, we are at an abundance problem. We throw out more quality food than we do eat it because we want the stuff that expires in two years, not two weeks. And and when people, like that point you mentioned with like dead foods, you know, there isn't a lot of probiotic bacteria in it. There isn't a lot of prebiotic bacteria in it. And at the end of the day, if we get more back to that holistic approach, or at least know where our food's coming from, I think our health's going to be so much better off in general. Go to your local butcher, go to a produce section, you know, like, or go to like an actual farmer's market. Like you're knowing where your food comes from, you'll actually appreciate it more, but you also won't be exposed heavily to a lot of these dead food items, which are very, very hard to deny. Yep. Yeah. We talk all the time about connecting to your local food source and you can do this anywhere regardless. You can live in a bigger city. You can live in a rural area. It's a lot easier in a rural area. Because you find a farm, you're probably going to be able to find, like, if you wanted to get into, like, a raw milk share, you're going to be able to find grass-fed, pastured meats. You're going to, like, all of these things are easier to find than people think. And they're not as expensive as you think either. So let's climb our way back out of this rabbit hole a little bit and get with the second main point from the, the health harms. What's the second main health harm you wanted to touch on? Yeah, I think the I think the second health harm that I just need to emphasize, and I think people have talked about this before, but it's the most common thing you hear from your doctor because they don't have time to talk to you about lifestyle. But it's also been ingrained in our thought processes for a long period of time, and that's simply eat less, move more. I that is one of the biggest health harm, uh, second biggest health harm that I think has been a problem because. Based like that on slogan that, is the health harm. That that slogan in itself, because it it's like we've been talking about, like just with this, you know, food paradigm and everything. It that is that you're heavily focusing just on quantity first, when quantity should be a focus, but it's never going to make a huge impact in your health unless you focus on quality first. So when you use this idea, eat less, move more. Well, based on that, as you age. Like throughout your entire lifespan, that means, logically speaking, that a 80-year-old person needs to exercise more than I do in order to lose that weight. Because 
are as we age, our metabolism slows down. And at the same time, when we start lowering our caloric intake, even if it doesn't have the essential vitamins and minerals that we need in order to thrive and be alive, this is where we get a lot of people in that aging population that have longer weight plateaus than anybody else is because they're just focusing on buying that low fat item. They're focusing on buying that low salt item. They're focusing on buying the processed foods that potentially are not going to get them to their actual health goals. So yes, I'll say this time and time again, and probably every trainer will believe me, caloric deficits work. Of course they do. Okay. If you eat hot dogs for three months, you're going to get sick of them and eventually you're going to be in a caloric deficit. Is that sustainable? Hell no. But at the end of the day, you did lose the weight. You got to that sure. goal. But yeah, you can then, eat Twinkies like, in a deficit and lose weight. <laughs> exactly. But this is where a lot of the like personal trainers will say, it's all about caloric deficits, bro. It's all about just reducing your calories. I'm like, yeah, to a certain extent. But where is our mindset? Where should our mindset be first? I think our mindset should be focused on giving you the proper macronutrients and micronutrients mm-hmm. that comes from quality. And then once you give the body the essential vitamins and minerals that it craves in order to thrive, guess who lowers their caloric intake naturally? Guess who's not craving food 24-7? It's the individual that has all of that quality food intake. They're getting their fats. They're getting their proteins. They're getting their complex carbohydrates. And they are likely to put themselves in a caloric deficit, which is going to help them eat less in general. So instead of eat less, move more. How about we just eat real fucking food and exercise regularly? Right. And exercise in in variable ways. Go for a hike, ruck, like put on a backpack with some weight in it. Go to the gym, lift weights, play basketball, play sports, you know, do do different things on top of just like, you know, move more, obviously, whatever you need to do to move more, but do different stuff. That's not just I go to the gym and do bicep curls. Right. One, uh, one great point of exercise. I think it was like one of my, uh, one of my exercise physiology, like teachers that kind of taught me this. It was great is that people would always say, what's the best exercise to do? And, uh, they were always asking what piece of equipment should I buy? And I said, okay, well, the best, you can buy a treadmill. That's great. It's going to be a pretty hefty price. What's the cheapest form of exercise? Get a jump rope. You know, it's that simple. But what is the best exercise is always the biggest question. And that gets simply answered by asking you, what is the exercise that you are likely to do? Without setting goals, without anything else, what is the exercise that you are likely to do and is realistic to your lifestyle on a consistent basis? And when you start from that mindset, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. What can you do every day or, you know, almost every day for the next 40 years instead of what can you do for the next 30 days that you hate? <laughs> right. My thought process is that I love playing basketball outdoors. I love being able to do weightlifting, calisthenics. I got this rower behind me. That's what I like to do. But just like diets, just like exercise routines, they end up copying what the trainer does. And they end up copying what the health coach does. What are you eating for breakfast? I don't care. What, what do you want to eat for breakfast that is going to keep you full and keep you healthy? What exercise are you going to do that motivates you and keeps you going on a regular basis? And you got to meet the people where they're at. If I got somebody who's got COPD or they have history of heart disease and they just can't even do daily activities around the house, I'm going to get them simply by getting in a chair, sit down, stand up. And once you feel comfortable doing that repetitively, start using weights with it. Like, we got to meet people where they're at, but also let them know that the exercise that they are likely to perform is the best exercise to do. Three. Huh. Three. There's so many things that I can go down. Like, I just, that's why I put seven. Um, But I do want to be able to emphasize this point tremendously because a lot of people think that they're going to be constantly having this chronic disease and there's no way out of it. And that is simply type 2 diabetes slash insulin resistance, as it's called, has the potential to be, it cannot be reversed. And that is one of the health harms that I think is dramatically impacting our health, not only from a cardiovascular standpoint, but just in all aspects of health, more inflammation, more weight gain, more risk of other chronic conditions that can come along. So the health harm that I think is 
should be the most prominent is telling people that diabetes cannot be reversed. That is so a huge health harm. Are you saying that diabetes is type two diabetes can be reversed? Correct. But there people are being told that they it is not able to be. Yes, that okay. it's not able to be reversed. That that is the health harm in itself. Is that if you tell somebody you've been diagnosed with type two diabetes, you're going to be on insulin for the rest of your life. You know, watch your blood sugars. Like everything's going to be fine. Watch what you eat, whatever the hell that means, and you cannot reverse this chronic progressive condition. And that is a huge health harm because there have been, there's been so much evidence. There's been so much life, so many lifestyle factors that have shown that we can regulate blood sugar, we can get your baseline insulin levels down, we can de-prescribe and get you off of medications by simply applying some healthy lifestyle factors. Now. You may not fully be able to get rid of it in some patient populations because of how long they've had it, but we can get them on the least amount of medications necessary and give them the confidence that, hey, maybe my lifestyle does play an impact on this specific chronic disease. You can still live your best life. Yes. And when people say cardiovascular risk, they talk about all of these types of factors that go into it. Most of the time, people will just focus on hereditary, they'll focus on age, they'll focus on like high blood pressure, but the main metabolic driver of chronic disease is insulin resistance. It all stems from your inability to have this hormone called insulin work effectively. And as we know, and maybe your listeners might know, is that insulin is the energy storage hormone. And most of the time when we are dealing with metabolic chronic disease is that when you have dysfunction of energy storage, whether that's too much glucose, too many fatty uh, triglycerides that are in the bloodstream, this is where we start to see a lot of chronic disease occur. And if we can improve our cells and we can improve our energy from a fat intake level, from a carb intake level, Guess what's going to happen? Your insulin level is going to go down. Your blood sugar level is going to go down. And then you are going to be diagnosed as somebody that does not have diabetes rather than saying it continues on the rest of your life. Yeah. It's amazing how many of those types of diseases uh, that are that people are told, like, you're going to live with this forever can actually be reversed by just changing your lifestyle to, a you know, Let's call it a more natural lifestyle rather than a more processed lifestyle. And I would say, I would say, type one diabetes—that is a actual genetic predisposition. That is a small subset of the population as well. They do not produce the hormone insulin from their pancreas, so they will have sometimes a meter. They'll have sometimes a pump. And the goal treatment with type one diabetes is to use the least amount of insulin necessary. The goal ultimately with type 2 diabetes is to get the hell off of insulin and continue to emphasize a healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. So those are three health harms. We got fat has been vilified. Eat less, move more. That slogan uh, is a health harm. And then the statement type 2 diabetes cannot be uh, reversed, which is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, And all of these health harms like I do in the book, provide individual context. So when I talk about fat makes you fat, I'm going to talk about the quality of fat that's going to make you thin rather than just telling you that fat's always good, fat's always bad. Every health harm that I go into, I provide my own personal take and provide individual context because I believe when it comes to health, context does matter. It does. It absolutely does. So now we're going to get into three of your healthy lifestyle solutions. So we went over the harms, the problems. We're going to talk about solutions now. What is solution number one? Solution number one, well, it all stems, and I think it's very appropriate to mention, um, just because it is the title of my book. Um, One of the simple solutions that I want to offer is the main message that I've been sending. Eat real food and do what works for you. That is the number one thing. Control what you put in your mouth and let food be your medicine. I think it was, who who said that? It was like uh, Hippocrates, I believe. Um, Let food be thy medicine. Um, We need to start 
focusing and grabbing our attention on the idea that food is your best benefit, not only to your health, but to any goals you're trying to achieve. What you put in your mouth makes a huge difference. And if we just eat real food dietary patterns that and do what works for you while trusting, learning, and acting during that process, whether that's with a health coach or individually on your own, that is probably the number one simple solution that is going to make a dramatic impact on your health. If you're keto, paleo, vegetarian, plant-based, you know, animal-based, I don't care. My job is to help you thrive and keep you alive. And if that involves a dietary pattern that works for you, I'm going to give you the pros. I'm going to give you some of the cons that you need to be aware of. And hopefully, let's make this into a long-term benefit and something that's sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. That quote, I looked it up because I was curious. The actual quote is, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And that was Hippocrates in 400 B.C. Oh, my memory is so darn good. <laughs> Must be eating real food consistently. Your brain is so big for all the healthy <laughs> well, fats. Oh my gosh, it used to be very small during college, all right? You want to <laughs> go ahead and drink on the weekends and also hit your head in playing rugby? Hell yeah. Oh man, we could definitely we could definitely reduce some brain cells. And eat a um, lot of fast food. <laughs> and Yeah, and the one other point that I want to mention off of that, eat real food and do what works for you, I do want to mention this disclaimer. Nobody is perfect. Okay, Um, so when you have something that is a cheat day or you have something that, you know, maybe is processed food, my main message is living life. Yeah, shit happens like that. Yeah. And And if it doesn't, then you should go do it because it's fun. (laughs) Right. And it's and that's the main message. I do want to emphasize that nobody's perfect when they eat real food and do what works for them consistently. Consistency is key. But one of the things from a mindset standpoint that I think is very helpful is When you are focusing on eating real food and doing what works for you, be self-aware of your food choices. Do not be self-judgmental of your food choices. Do not give yourself this ability to be a failure when you have a slice of pizza, when you have some ice cream, when you have some heart-healthy Cheerios. (laughs) Don't be guilty. Do not judge yourself. Consistency, be aware of your food choices, and eat real food on a regular basis. I see that all the time. It's it's crazy, um, especially with people who are newer to this way of thinking where food is not good or bad. They'll say, fuck, I ate some chocolate cake today and I oh, I overate it. Let's just say I overate it. I had like three pieces of chocolate cake today and I blew it all and I'm going to start over on Monday and I'm going to just, you know, whatever. Screw the whole weekend. Um It's amazing when you let go of that preconceived notion of, well, fuck it. I've already ruined it to, okay, so last night I ate like an asshole. I really did. I had Burger King and then I ate chocolate cake and then I had ice cream and I really just put on the feedback. And And then TMI for me, I blew it out my asshole. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 100%. You know when you you eat processed food your body reacts differently so it truly does uh the 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 thing though is like you just get back on the next meal that's the thing that i have learned uh one of my very close friends and helpful person his name's jared hamilton he's an online trainer and also in person trainer he said your next meal get it right like so what you had whatever you had get it right the next meal um and i think again people's bad relationships with bad relationships with food. So I just wanted to throw that, throw that in there. So he was, on, next, he was on the podcast also. Well, he was, uh, yeah, he's been on the podcast great. multiple times. Yes. Nice. Great. Um, next healthy lifestyle solution hit me. Okay. Um, so I, I think it's very important. Uh, there's many different health solutions, but I think this one is very important to kind of talk about, especially in this environment that, You know, I I just see it so much. There's so much fear. um, And we have a lot of mental health barriers that a lot of people might have. They might have higher anxiety, higher depression. This might be current or it might be like a residual effect of COVID and everything else. But I think that one of the simple solutions is figuring out healthy ways to reduce your stress. 
Um, and being able to understand practically what are those stress factors that are going to impact your overall health. And when we are anxious, when we are depressed, what are our outlets? Um, what are we relying on? Do we have you know, maybe if it's a medical condition that needs attention, maybe you have a therapist. That's a positive way of alleviating your stress. And what we have done in this environment, and that includes the food concept along with it, you know, we have stress eating, we have stress drinking, we have stress smoking. All of those materialistic items that we use as stress relievers actually are negative internal stressors on our body. And we need positive stressors within our life that are actually going to make a huge impact on mitigating that anxiety, that depression, and also just accepting the idea of, I'm not going to live in fear, I'm going to live in adventure. Like, there's, that's, that doesn't mean risk is going away, okay? I could get hit by a bus tomorrow, whatever. <laughs> but we want to be able to identify and mitigate risk, but also we want to be able to live an adventurous and fulfilling life. And the best way to do that is using positive ways to alleviate our stress. That can simply be through exercise. That can be reading a book. That can be going outside in nature. That could be meditating or prayer. It depends on the individual, but all of those positive mitigators of stress it's going to put you in a much better place than the negative materialistic copers of stress, which is smoking, drinking, processed food. You know, you want to be able to have those as treats rather than use them as coping mechanisms. And we always, with stress, have to admit that maybe there is a problem. Is there something I can do? Or maybe I need help and having the courage to admit I need help to figure out a solution to mitigate your stress. As someone who used uh, mostly alcohol to deal with issues for a few years, I can relate to that on a deep level. I would consider those smoking, drinking, drugs, whatever, as uh, they're not stress relievers, they're numbing agents. So we're not actually dealing with anything when we're doing those things. We are simply providing ourselves with an escape to an unhealthy escape, I'll add, like to whatever the problem actually is. And I know that from experience. And I know that people, they every day, millions and millions of people deal with that same problem. Um, and it can sneak up on you. So uh, that's funny you bring that up. We were just talking about doing an episode on unhealthy coping mechanisms and trying to provide some, some insight on that because it can sneak up on you and you go from thinking you're having a couple of beers with the boys a couple times a week to getting blackout drunk four to five to six days a nut, you know, a week and driving drunk and doing all that stuff. So it can really escalate quickly. So we're going to put a pin in that one because we're probably going to come back to talk about it. At and there point. is empathy for that as oh, well. 100%. People need, yeah. people need to know that, that it's like, oh, just stop drinking, stop eating processed food. Right. Is, is that going to really work? You know, is yeah, telling somebody to stop doing something and wagging a finger going to really work? As a health coach, I've learned to, no, to figure it, it out. So, yeah, it takes you years. But <laughs> so that's why I think positive stressors, you know, emphasize those to the best of your ability. And don't be afraid to ask for help or provide your own individual help and work ethic to combat those negative stressors. Absolutely. Yep. So third healthy lifestyle solution. All right, so this one's more of a fun one. Uh, so I bet you there's no metabolic health trainer that will actually emphasize this. And simply one of my healthy solutions, my simple solutions is, it's part of the title and you can read the book when you buy it. It's laugh a little, you piece of shit. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is not for censors. Like I know I want to keep it PG, but we... We have honestly lost the ability to just laugh at the simple human inconsistencies of life that we're all guilty of. And I don't know about you, this is more of like a personal one. Comedy has always been a driving factor for me. Um, it's, it's wonderful when you can uplift yourself, when somebody makes fun of you because of a very small little detail, laugh it off. Like you have like the idea of laughter in itself 
off of that second point is it's a stress reduction. It's having healthy social relationships where people can simply just laugh at other inconsistencies, but the hardest thing that you can do is laugh at your own inconsistencies, which requires you, it requires me to have a little humility from time to time. So if we can just simply laugh a little bit, don't take everything so seriously. Maybe if we go on social media or see something that is like put in a negative light, anytime we interpret something we see, we see in text, or we just hear, we just automatically make negative assumptions. And I think comedy, I think humor is the healer to that. If we can smile more than we frown and let go of the idea that maybe we're not we're not perfect and we can actually like strive to be better while being able to you know accept our inconsistencies and other people's i think your health is going to be dramatically better so in that in that subject i talk about just simply go to a comedy show Listen to a podcast where there's a comedian, you know, that you really like. You know, I mentioned Jim Gaffigan earlier in this, but just somebody that's going to give you a smile. Maybe that's me. Maybe maybe it's not. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I think the more you smile rather than the more you frown, it's going to make a huge impact on your health. And it really is something that we have lost recently in the past couple of years. Yeah, I love it. So to summarize the three lifestyle solutions that we talked about, the first one being doing what works for you uh, that you can do for the next hundred years rather than the next 30 days, and also trying to learn and focus on not having food guilt. Number two, finding out healthy ways to reduce stress, which we're going to be touching on in in another podcast at some point. And then the third one, Laugh a little bit, you piece of shit. <laughs> I love that one. Oh, so it made me laugh right now. I mean, it was great. I make myself chuckle when I was writing the book. I, I have a little joke in there that some of you may like, some of you might hate me for it, but whatever. <laughs> you know, I, you put yourself out there, see if it's funny, but if right. it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. You know, right. enjoy yourself. Sticks. Enjoy life to the fullest. So we're going to start wrapping this one up. Where can people find you? What's the title of the book? Where can they find the book? I know I just gave you three questions, but answer those questions. <laughs> sure. All right. I'm not, uh, definitely happy to go ahead and give that information out. So if you go on Instagram, Facebook, it's just simply RFF Lifestyle. And also my like tag name is Medicine Mike. And the reason why it's Medicine Mike is because, you know, I believe lifestyle is the best medicine. Um, you can find that. And my uh, name is Mike. <laughs> because my name is Mike. Even though you can call me Tempo, whatever yeah. floats your boat. Love it either way. Um, and then also you have my website, rfflifestyle.com, where you could go ahead and do one-on-one consults with me. We could do it a one-month, three-month package, whatever you feel comfortable with. You can also sit down with me and talk about ways to improve your overall health. We'll schedule something. That's also very important. And then when you actually get to the book and wanting to purchase RFF Lifestyle, Simple Solutions to a Healthy Life, it is available on Amazon, either Kindle unlimited kindle paper uh kindle availability if you're not on kindle unlimited and then it's also available paperback and i will tell you for all the people who listen to this podcast all the people who have gratefully and i say this strongly gratefully have donated to the cause of being able to publish the book being able to market it being able to get it up and running in all platforms those individuals will be getting a free signed copy of the book. So thank you to all those people. But that is where you can find me. And that's where you can find my website and my book. And hopefully you can live a happy and healthy life. Absolutely. Well, sir, I appreciate you joining me and spending some time on the Weekly Warrior podcast this week. And I do so look forward to having you again. Of course, my friend. Like I said, always great talking to you. Always like being on the Weekly Warrior. And just so you know, I am also a avid listener of the Weekly Warrior podcast Aww. because I will tell you, you can when you apply the RFF lifestyle, you learn, uh, you trust, you learn, and you act. And I've learned so much by just getting a different sp- perspective from you, from uh, from Bones, uh, getting it from Connor. Like I, I love you guys. We're all family, anyways. But. I'm so happy to be on here and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity.
one final thought for all of you listeners out there. I'm going to trust you to go on to Apple Podcast or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and a written review. I'm going to trust that you're going to share this podcast with a friend or family member because that's truly the most impactful way to spread the good word, especially about RFF lifestyle. And I trust that we will see you next week when we discover our warrior within. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.